Aren't you thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? Amen. Thank you, worship team. That was an awesome, awesome time of worship. You never know how much you need community until you need community. Say that with me. And I want you to emphasize that need. You never know how much you need community until you need community. It was May 2016, and uh, we were living uh, our, our best life in Scottsdale, Arizona. We have a, had a nice house at the foot of the McDowell Mountains, a place where I could just walk out my back door, my front door, and have just endless miles and miles of trails in the mountains, uh, hiking, biking. Uh, it was about a year and a half or so at, at a new church that was uh, undergoing. We, we'd launched a $3 million building campaign. The walls were going up uh, on the grounds. Um, you know, we had our challenges adapting into a new culture and a new uh, situation as well with staff and with the church and, and working through some of those things. We were enjoying life. Our kids were, were uh, you know, in, in elementary school and middle school, coaching soccer and, and just in, enjoying uh, what God was doing. And um, on that day, on Friday, uh, May 16th, 20, um, uh, May 19, 2016, we, we were uh, having some friends over that were from out of town, and we were enjoying that morning together at the, at the park. And, uh, and then I had a meeting that afternoon with the board. We've been working on some things. And I walked into that meeting, and my world turned upside down. That was the last, that was the pastor at McDowell Mountain Community Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I was devastated utterly broken. Came home, hardest news I ever had to share with my wife and with our kids, and we didn't know what the future would look like from one moment to the next. Prior to that morning, I needed community. We needed to be around others. We had friends. We had people in ministry that we were close to, but in about an hour's time difference, we needed community. We needed community. And that's when we discovered the power of the circle. The power of people coming around us in Christ-centered community. We've been looking at this in the series and talking about the power of the circle and what happens when God shows up. And today, I'm going to be talking about being devoted to outrageous generosity in all its forms. Being devoted to generosity in all its forms. What does that have to do with community? How do we come around each other in generosity? That's what we're going to look at today. So in this series, The Power of the Circle, if you are new or joining us or catching up, we're talking about the power of Christ-centered community, moving from rows to circles, getting face-to-face -face with other people in a smaller setting. At Meadow Park, we have life groups that, that happen all throughout the week and on Sundays and in different places here in the church and at homes, and they're places where we can get together with people that we normally sit with on a Sunday morning but can now get face-to-face -face with. And something happens, and the reason we call it the power of the circle is because Jesus himself said, where two or three are gathered in his name, what happens there? He shows up. That's been a promise of Jesus from, from the time that he walked this earth, saying, if you get together, two or three of you, in my name, I'm going to be there. And that's why there's a power there. When Jesus is a part of the circle, something happens. Something changes. Life begins to happen. And I think we neglect this in our spiritual walk to our detriment. I mean, it's a step that we maybe take. We say, all right, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to learn more about God. Maybe you come to faith. You're growing. You're reading the Bible. You're, you're taking in the sermons. You're applying some of these things in your life. You're praying. You're worshiping. We're in church. We give us something. And, you, and, and yeah, but we neglect this whole part of belonging, this whole part of, of, of developing community. 
We have three core values in, the, in this church that have to do with our spiritual walk and our discipleship, and you hear it all the time. It's belonging, believing, and becoming. That belonging is such a huge part of our spiritual walk. It's not just believing the right things. It's belonging in community, experiencing that through others, and that's what we've been talking about. And what happens, that richness of life that happens in community. So when we talk about getting connected, when we talk about going deeper, the idea is that, that many of us think, ah, you know, I don't know if I really need that. I can do without, I can do without community. Is it, does it really make a difference? It can make one of the biggest differences in your life. We need community. I think we all long for belonging. I started talking, this, teaching the series about this. We long for belonging, but we are hesitant to connect. Isn't that the irony, right? We all want to have that kind of community, but we're hesitant to connect. Oh, that means I actually got to meet someone else. I got to meet new people. I might actually have to join a group and like show up and not know anyone at the, that house. And yes, you have to overcome that initial obstacle, that challenge. It's like, the, you know, if your kid ever didn't want to go to a camp or do a, maybe a youth thing or a student thing, oh, I don't know anyone. That's the point, right? You don't go because I don't know anyone, but what happens as soon as you spend some time together? You get to know them. That's the process. So growing, we have to risk, right, closer proximity so that we can experience that deeper community. So we've been looking at a key passage of, uh, in, in the Bible that I'm reading every week. It's in Acts chapter 2, and it's talking about the early church. The first church that actually formed after Jesus' death and resurrection, as they're trying to figure out, what does it mean now? They didn't just be like, oh, we know Jesus, and he's our, our, the Son of God, and now let's go out and live our lives and do whatever. They understood something about needing to come together to experience community. So here, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Let's read it together again here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Something powerful was happening in that community. And over the past couple of weeks, we were looking at some of these different factors, right? We talked about how they were devoted to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and getting together, and, and being in, around the table, and that transformation that happens around the table, right? God shows up around tables. We spend time together, when we, we break bread together, when we come and celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we have a part of each other, and brokenness is healed in fellowship and in community. Last week, we talked about being devoted to teaching and to prayer. Remember the four things, the four spiritual growth things that can only happen in community and not on your own when it comes to growing in the Word of God? Do you remember any of them? What was the first one? Dialogue, right? You can't, you can't on your own have a dialogue, but you can talk to people about your questions and your faiths and, and your doubt, the things you're learning. The second thing was what? Wisdom. Dialogue. Wisdom. Come on, you guys remember? Come on, this is like, got to learn these things, right? It's important. We gain wisdom from one another. Because we have shared life experience, you have your own spiritual advisory council. Accountability was the third one. People that can love and challenge you to grow in your faith and really put into practice what, what you want to do to grow in your faith. And the last one was encouragement. A place that cheers you on, your own cheerleading team, right? That says, you got this, you can do this. We need that when we're growing in faith. And so today, I want to talk about this last part about getting connected in, in this outrageous generosity and what that looks like. Because we look at life groups, maybe we think about, you know, okay, so, so these groups get together and 
Maybe you meet in a home, you meet in the church, maybe you have a meal together or some snacks, you spend some time together, uh, you talk, you catch up on life, you pray over some, you know, share some challenges that you have or, or opportunities, you celebrate and pray. Then you study God's word or you follow up on the message. And I mean, that sounds, that sounds you know, great, but I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. I'm kind of an independent person, and it's me and God, and I've got my life, and I'm, I'm going to go to church. I watch online. I'm learning some stuff. It, it's good. Do I really need that? I'm a self-made man. I'm an independent woman. Has the pandemic taught us anything about isolation and separation, social distancing, what happens to us when we don't engage, when we don't come together in community? And we think things are good. And you know what? When things in your life are good, you only need community, maybe. Right? Isn't it easy when life is good? Things are great. I don't really need anyone. I've got a good job. My money's, you know, coming in, and, and I get to go on my vacations. I get to, you know, eat what I want and drive the car that I want. I got a house, and life's good. I mean, I don't really need community. It's not a matter of if you'll need community. It's a matter of when. If you've lived any length of time, if you've gone any time in your life for more than a couple of years, you realize there are those points in time where you absolutely need community. Your marriage blows up. You need community. Your spouse dies. A child dies. A parent dies. Somebody close to you, a friend. You need community. You lose your job. You need community. When you're struggling, you need community. When addiction kicks your butt, you need community. When you can't pay a bill, you need community. When the savings runs out, you need community. When you're in the hospital, you need community. When that diagnosis comes in, when that disease is there, you need community. All of a sudden, your world is rocked. You need community. When disability strikes, you need community. When depression sets in, you need community. When the business fails, you need community. When you're alone for a holiday or a birthday, you need community. When you need a trusted babysitter and don't know anyone, you need community. When you run out of eggs, you need community. When you run out of sugar, you need community. When you need a truck and you don't have one, you need community. Right? You need community. When you have a serious question about your faith, when you need prayer and wisdom, we're fiercely independent people who don't think we need anyone. But there's those moments in time in life when we need community. Here's the problem. If we neglected community now, when we need it, it isn't there. If you neglect, neglect community now, when you need it, it isn't there. I can't tell you over the years of being a pastor the, what we hear all the time, the requests that we get, and people just calling, people knocking on the door, emails that get sent from who knows where, people looking online, just needing help, wanting somebody in. And sometimes it's also people from a Meadow Park that are you know, like loosely connected or have affiliation with the church, but we don't know them. And while we do a lot to help and try to help where we can, it's always one of those first things I think is we know where the church is when we all of a sudden need community, Right? But there's been nothing that's done to invest into that community, to be a part of that, to be known and to be engaged in that way. And so if we don't invest in community, all of a sudden we have nowhere else to turn. And I'm glad that people can turn to the church. But what I'm talking about is this ongoing life of when we invest in that community, what can happen? And so today I'm going to look at this fourth part, devoted to outrageous generosity and what this has to do with 
the importance of, of finding that community. I'm going to look at this verse here in Acts 2 that we just read earlier, but I want to focus in on this one today. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What do you think about that verse? <laughs> what do you guys think? Good idea? Ooh. Mm. Well, let me alleviate your fears this morning. <laughs> We're not asking for your deed to your property. I'm not asking you to sell your homes and your land and to do all that. I'm not asking you to bring all that in. Because one thing we have to understand is we need to differentiate between their practice and the value behind what they practice. Now, that doesn't mean to say that some of us shouldn't maybe do that. But what we've been talking about the last several weeks is here's a group of believers who's trying to figure this out, and we're being told the story of how they lived that out. This is not for us prescriptive in the sense of we have to do everything exactly the way it took place in Acts chapter 2. Because if we did, we'd be going to the temple every single day. Has any of us gone to the temple every single day? We don't even have a temple. Okay? So today we have a worship center here. We've got a sanctuary. We've got a church. And we gather once a week. That's the rhythm we're in. It was the value of worship that was so important. Not necessarily exactly how they, they did that. So we figure that out for today. What does that look like today? They, they, they met in their homes every single day. I didn't come up here a couple weeks ago and say, from now on, every single day, life groups in each other's homes, that's the way we're doing it, that's what the Bible said. It was the value of fellowship, the value of this importance of making this the center of breaking bread, gathering around the table, how we do that. We have to figure that out. We can't sit at the apostles' feet for teaching, like it says there, because the apostles are dead. So we have to figure out how do we commit ourselves to teaching and understand that value of learning and of growth and of discipleship. And today, this value of outrageous generosity, what does that mean for you and for me? And I think this is one that becomes a big stumbling block and a big challenge for us because we separate our faith from the spiritual, uh, the spiritual from the reality and the physical. And, and, and when it comes to our money, when it comes to our stuff, ah, I don't know, all of a sudden it gets a little bit touchy. But we read a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4 a little bit more about what this community looked like. And I just want you to, as I read this, picture this community. What was this like? What would have been like to be a part of that community? To look in on it. Acts 4, 32 to 35. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. It continues, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So how do you picture this community as you're hearing the story? What was being written about them? What would be written about Meadow Park Church as the believers, as they gathered together? Could these things be said of us? How would we be described in our generosity? Think back to this, this story here. Imagine being in that community. Imagine being one who, who had need, and all of a sudden there's a community that says, I got you. We got you covered. You're good. Imagine being one of the ones who had more means and said, you know what, I'm going to go sell my property. I'm going to go sell a house that I have, I, I inherited this thing, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to bring the money to the apostles, we're going to distribute this money so that it, it can be there to help others. What a blessing that would have been. 
Imagine the community from the outside looking in and seeing this is what the believers do. This is how they treat one another. This is how they act. What kind of witness would that be to others? It's so countercultural then as it is today to do this kind of thing. And again, I'm talking about the value of what they did, this idea of outrageous generosity. This is how they lived that out. And again, it says, just to pull that one verse out, Acts 4.32 in this section, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they have. I want to look at this idea of how they approached their stuff, how they approached their possessions. So the first thing is, like, it says ownership. And here's how we define ownership today. What's mine is mine. I mean, it's the definition of ownership, isn't it? (laughs) Yes? It's not a trick question, right? (laughs) You're like, ah, he's going to trick me. No, I'm not going to trick you. (laughs) Ownership, what's mine is mine. That's where we begin, because that's why I'm the owner. And I can do with what I own what I want. If I want to spend it all on myself, use it for me, I can do that. If I want to invest it, I can do that. If I want to bury it, I can do that. If I want to give it away, I can do that. That's what ownership is by definition. It's how we live. It's often how our culture and society defines it. Man, once you own it, once, once you earned your paycheck, once it goes into your bank account, once it's in your hands, once the deed is signed over, the, pink, the, the paper for the car, everything, it's yours. You're the owner. That's what ownership is. But interestingly, they said what they owned was not their own. That was an interesting way of thinking about ownership, isn't it? What was different? They understood the principle of stewardship. Stewardship says what's mine is God's. That's the difference. Ownership is what's mine is mine. Stewardship says what's mine is God's. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The Lord and all its people belong to him. So 7357 Cladall Lane, where we live. Should I be putting that out online live? I guess that could be, that could be a problem now. You guys can all look it up. Check it out on Zillow. You can go on Google. You can... Go on our street view. We'll probably have our trash cans. I don't know. I I didn't put that in here. I should have thought about that. Anyway, um, (laughs) that little plot of land is ours. We own it. Well, the bank owns the majority of it, but we own a good chunk of it. Whose was it before then? Whoever we bought it from? What about before then? What about before then? What about before then? What about before then and before then and before then and before then? What about after us and the people after? Like, we're just passing through this little plot of land. It's ownership. This is my property. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. See, we're just, we're just stewards. It's just for a time. These boundaries that we set up in America, they're, they're, they're artificial. They're human-made. The world has belonged to God long before, before it was the United States, after it will be the United States. Isn't that a crazy thought? It's not, we're not always going to have the United States of America. I mean, even the Roman Empire didn't last forever. I mean, it's just crazy. But you know who always owns it? God. We're stewards. We're managers. In, uh, in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Moses is leading the people out of slavery. What, what do we know about slaves? They don't really own anything, right? <laughs> when they left slavery, the Exodus, and were moving to the Promised Land, they especially didn't. They, they could only take some things with them, whatever they could take for the journey. And then they were in the desert for 40 years. They didn't own a lot when they, when they walked through the wilderness. And before they took possession of the promised land, Moses wanted to remind them something. You're going to have a great life. You're getting new land, land flowing with milk and honey. There's going to be wealth and riches. You're going to settle down. Life is going to go well for you. And he wanted to remind them this before they went. Deuteronomy 8, 17. Moses did all this. uh, God did all this for you so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. 
in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. He gives you the ability for wealth and success. What? In order to fulfill his plan. That's why we are stewards, because we're stewarding the stuff that we have. What's mine is God's. So that leads us to the third point. If ownership is what's mine is mine, and stewardship is what mine, what's mine is God's, then sharing is what's mine is yours. Some of you guys are like, this is very socialistic. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not just understanding scripture here. What's mine is yours. We can share because we are stewards, because we're only sharing what God has already given us. We're sharing his resources. We know the story where God says, some of you have been entrusted with more. Some of you have been entrusted with less. Some of us are in between. We've all been entrusted with something to manage for his purpose. And so at that point, we have an understanding. And that early church understood we're sharing these things because they didn't see what they owned as their own, it says. So if we're supposed to do what God is asking us to do with his resources, Romans 12, 13 says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. So when we think about this idea, they had everything in common. They had a different view of their stuff and their things. So when I look at Meadow Park, we're looking at our church, and I think about what do we have as a church? So many of you faithfully give week in and week out. Some of you tithe, you actually fulfill the 10% tithe and you go above that. Others are working towards that. Some of you are just starting to figure out what it means to give and be generous. We're all on a journey of learning that generosity together. And the church receives those funds and we set a budget. We have a mission, we have goals, we have staff, we've got a building that we pay for, we've got um, programs that we run, ministries that, that reach out, making our church available to others. It all comes together and we say, okay, this is... This is the resources Meadow Park has. This is our budget. These are the dollars in the bank that come through, and here's how we spend it and leverage it. And on top of that, we also have people resources that commit their time and energy and, and uh, give so much. We had an amazing team night on, uh, on Wednesday night this past week. It was so cool to hear the heart and passion of those that serve here. And we go, okay, that's, that's what we have. But let me ask you now a little different question if we view it in light of what we just heard today. So if you guys, uh, I would love for you to raise your hand if you, uh, if you live in a house or an apartment, you have a place to live. Raise your hand if you have a place to live. Okay? And now I want you on your finger, leave your hands up, leave your hands up, it's okay. Don't be ashamed, you have a place to live. It's kind of, we're thankful enough that we can do that. Uh, on your hand, show uh, how many bedrooms do you have in your house? Some of us have bigger houses, bigger families, smaller, just, so if I were to look around now and count, we could run an amazing Airbnb right? There should be nobody here that has to go a night. You can put your hands down now. Go a night that doesn't have to, that doesn't have, to have a place to, to wonder about where they're going to sleep. All right. How many of you, if you have one car, put your hand up in the air. If you have a car. If you have two cars, put, put two hands up. If you have three cars, right? Okay. All right. Right? We've got vehicles, right? A lot of vehicles. If, if, if somebody's got an issue with a car and doesn't, doesn't have a, you know, you can't, your car's broken down, you can't get anywhere, you've got access to hundreds of cars. Isn't that cool? Now, the real question, to kind of piggyback on what I said earlier, who owns a truck, a pickup truck? Raise your hand if you own a pickup truck. Raise your hand if you own a pickup truck. Congratulations, you all now have friends with pickup trucks. All right, you guys are the, so call if you guys need, you know, something moved. We have everything in common. I own, all of a sudden now, I have like eight pickup trucks. It's so awesome. Um, what else do we need, hon? We have <laughs> anyone, have a, anyone have a new air conditioned unit? <laughs> yeah, that's going in on Monday. Um, we have different needs. We have different things. 
right, that, that, that we, where we can help each other out. And, you know, how many vacuum cleaners do we have? How many carpet cleaners do we have? How many toaster ovens? I mean, we've got stuff. And, and if we only see what's given to the church, is the church is versus saying we have access to all of those things. This is us in common. What's mine is yours. Mi casa es su casa, right? I mean, together in that way. Now let's get a little more personal. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but let's get out a piece of paper. No, don't get a piece of paper. Write down what your salary is. Put everything that you have in assets. If you have savings, if you've got a checking account, if you've got a you know, retirement account, if you own any land or property, let's get a list together. Let's just put it all together. Let's see what we have in common as a church. I bet you it's bigger than our annual budget. Right? But no, 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 it's, it's not the church's, it's not God's until I release it, which is true. I mean, that God gives us that authority. He allows us to release it. He trusts us as his stewards. So how well are we stewarding those things? But the understanding is when we have things in common, there's way more possibility of what we could do and what we could accomplish and how we can be there for each other as a community than we understand. In circles, the spiritual becomes tangible. See, we can talk about a lot of these things. We can talk about it, but when we actually have to put it into practice, things change. Because we separate the spiritual from the physical, the spiritual from the tangible. This is what I believe in God. I'm saved. I'm good with God. I was baptized, and now like, let me live my life. Or I just do the church thing. And... But when we now have to live in community and actually invite people around the table, actually break bread together, actually talk to one another about what we're learning and what we're growing and where we're struggling, Actually leveraging some of our resources to help those in need. Look what it says in James chapter 2, 14 to 17. Faith without good deeds is dead. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Let's, now he's going to give us a practical example about the believers. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So this is where it comes into practice. This is where it comes into play. Is God transforming us in a way for us to be available to him so that the spiritual can become tangible and care for each other? So let me get practical on a couple pieces here. Three things I want to talk to you about. The overall piece here is this. You might be wondering, all right, all right, this sounds like a lot, but here's the deal. This is the reality. Living in community costs us something. It just does. It costs us something. It costs us something to, to, to live in community. It costs us the most precious things we have if we really want to experience community. And I know what we would say is two of the most precious commodities today, what are they? Time and money, right? I'm going to add a third of that, Heart. This is, our, this is just who we are, showing up, being ourselves. So let me go and tell you a little bit about this outrageous generosity, this value, if we were to practice this. Living in community costs you time. There's no way around that, right? This is what we have to risk. We have to be willing to give up some time, make some room in our schedule. If I'm going to be in community and make this a priority, i got to get up on Sunday mornings. Every, I'm going to be here. If I'm going to go to my group, I'm going to be there. So showing up is huge physically. Your presence matters you know how worship, we, the, the, the worship team here can do the exact same, um, you know, worship program that we have. I can teach the same message. And if there's nobody in the room or just 10 of you, how is that worship different than on Easter when we have to open the doors and multiple services in the pack? There's something about your presence, right? 
Being together, being in that place, saying this is a priority. When you show up physically is one of the biggest things that you communicate to say this is important to me. Is it not? Right? Not just say it, not just phone it in, but to show up physically. I love how in one of our Sunday morning groups that meet here on Sunday mornings, but one of their group members was having physical challenges and actually waiting on a transplant, which she now received, praise God. But they took the group to her. <laughs> right? Because presence matters. Showing up matters. Being close matters. Socially, I loved walking through the church uh, one, one evening as I was leaving here. There's a group that meets, uh, I think, Thursday evenings, and they were setting up like tablecloths on the table and were celebrating a party. One of the dads, one of the, the men in, the, in their community group was having a birthday, right? So showing up socially, just being there, saying, we're going to celebrate. This is the time that we're investing in each other's relationship. Anniversaries, births, deaths, those things. Let me ask you, how much of your time are you investing in Christ-centered community? Is there a part of your life that is invested in Christ-centered community? Not, not just hanging out with the guys from work. Not just the, what you do with you know, your girlfriends. and Those are great. That's, that's relationship. But Christ-centered community. How much of your time are you investing in that? So living in community costs you time. Second, living in community costs you heart. While time is about physically and socially connecting, heart is about emotionally and spiritually engaging. Because you can show up and kind of be distant, right? You can, somebody can, you can have a meal with somebody, but they can spend their whole time on their phone, right? <laughs> That's not really heart at that point. They're physically present with their time. But emotionally, when you actually have to enter someone's story, when you care, when you show empathy, how's it going? No, really, and how are you keeping up with somebody? Some of illnesses that people are going through, struggles with family or, or difficult relationship with their kids, and you're walking through that with them. There's an emotional investment to stay the course for that. And just keep staying engaged in that way. Spiritually staying engaged. Praying for somebody. Not just saying, I'm going to pray for you. You know, put a little, little, little emoji like this on Facebook. Got you. Got you, right? But are you really praying? Are you really remembering? Are you investing that heart in life groups and community groups? It's staying connected in that way. Supporting through death and grief and realizing it's not over when the funeral's over. That grief continues. And that person that will remember to check back in, how you doing after the, after the meals have stopped and after the, the cards don't come and the phone call's there and the house is still lonely? I know i got to work on this part. This is the part that's probably the hardest for me. The empathy, the emotional, to stay connected. I'm a head guy, not more than a heart guy, but that doesn't excuse me from this. We have to work at some of this. How much, the question, how much of your heart are you investing in Christ-centered community? Living in community, third, costs you money. It does. There's an investment there financially. How can you help? What do you need? What can we do together? Even things like, you know, when somebody's going through a hard time, providing meals, cooking the meal, preparing the meal, buying the ingredients, bringing some gift cards over, right? Furniture, clothing, helping with medical expenses, borrowing cars. I've seen groups, you know, pool their resources together to buy a car for somebody. Those kinds of things, giving of our stuff, our money, into this community and saying, I'm gonna, it's going to cost me something, but this is what it means to live in community and to share things in common. How much of your money are you investing in Christ-centered community? Not just in small circles, but even in our large circle, right? This is what we do when we bring our resources together. They brought this, these things to the leaders to, to distribute and to understand, to see the big picture of what was the big need in the community as well. And so we're grateful for those of you who, who give in that way that allow us to do that. But I know there's many of you that give in, amongst yourselves that never flows to the church, not about tax-deductible reasons, but you're caring, you're seeing, you're meeting needs 
How much money are you investing in Christ-centered community? Now, notice I've been using a key word when I've been asking you the question. It's the word investing. Because living in community is an investment with great returns. It costs us something, but it's an investment with great returns. Because we never know how much we need community until what? (laughs) We need community. That's when we need it. That's when it needs to show up. That's when the investment is there. And it's not like for selfish reasons. I'm going to do all these things so later I can get it back. It's about in life just recognizing at times some of us have needs and different times we don't. And we can benefit and we can help others. And then there's times we receive and we find it in that way. And what that does is I can imagine the people looking at that early community. What would people look at today as us, as the church? John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is really love, love being lived out in the power of the circle. And back to the the story that I began with when we needed community, when our life was just like laid flat. To have friends showing up, not just sending a text or a phone call, but literally ringing our doorbell, standing there going, I just heard what happened. We're here for you. Stepping in, leaning in. A couple of our friends, a couple of families that were very close at the time, said, you know what, we're throwing a barbecue tonight. We're going to bring some friends over. We're coming over. We're going to do this tonight. We're going to hang out. We're going to love on you. We're going to laugh. We're going to just support you however we can. They cried with us. They laughed with us. Others said, you know what, let me watch your kids so that you and Shannon can just spend some time. Others brought meals over. I had some, some friends, some guys that were like, that were, had been in, in business and in leadership and whatnot and said, you know what, let me just, let's grab breakfast. Let's do this consistently. Just talk through. And I remember just processing this anger, hurt, confusion, spiritually, doubts, struggle. To have a place of community. They were there in all those ways. Physically, they showed up. Emotionally, they invested. Socially, they connected with us and with our family. Financially, they were there. Spiritually, in all these ways, surrounded us in, in, in such a powerful way. We were in process and, and looking for our next church. That was before we came to Meadow Park. And, uh, and before we were even far along, before we really had started our, our journey here with conversations with, with Meadow Park, our severance had ended um, from the church there after I was forced out. And, uh, and I remember that first month looking at, we still have a full house payment <laughs> to, to come in, in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. And some of these friends handed us an envelope one, filled with cash to cover our first month's mortgage. That costs something. And we're never going to forget that generosity. That's the power of the circle. You never know how much you need community until you need it. But if you don't invest in it now, it may not be there for you. Now as a church, we'll do what we can. We surround one another. But it's not always just in these big things, right? It's in the small things. The birthday party. (laughs) The prayer for the, the wart you're going to have removed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't think of more extremes. <laughs> Who's in your circle? If you want to experience the power of the circle, who's in your circle? Because God will show up in that circle. Jesus will be there when you gather in his name. But who is it that's gathering with you? Make this a priority. This is part of how we grow in our faith. And it's just the richness of life together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the outrageous generosity that you displayed for us on the cross 
stepping out of heaven, coming physically present, spending, spending your time, your heart, everything, God, making everything available to us, loving us. Jesus, thank you for the early church and that we get to just read hundreds, a couple thousand years later about how they just realized the importance of needing each other and not trying to do it on, on their own, but God, how you provide in beautiful ways. Lord, today, just help us to be good stewards of what you've given to us. As we see needs around us, help us to have wisdom to know what you would be calling us to do, how to care for those around us. And Father, more than anything, I just ask that you would give each and every person here in this room, listening online, a circle that they can identify, that they can invest in, and that invests in them, where they can grow spiritually and be surrounded and be supported and really experience what life in you looks like. Not just attending church or listening to a sermon, but to really live and do life together in Christ-centered community. Thank you for the power of these circles, God. I pray that we would experience them and grow through them in this fall season. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.